Well, it is so good to uh, just be up here sharing with you guys. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Dan. I am the youth pastor here, so I'm used to teaching 6th through 12th graders. Sometimes they get a little distracted, and, and they could probably attest to that, but um, <laughs> it's always nice to, uh, to teach some adults for a change. I don't get to do this too often. I'm also a school teacher as well, so I am just with kids all the time, so whenever I get the chance to, uh, <laughs> to teach adults, it's always my privilege. So uh, Pastor Mike is on vacation this week. I asked him what he's doing, if he's going anywhere. He told me that he's sleeping, so <laughs> um, that sounds like I, the, the older I get, I'm not that old, but the older I get, I'm like, yeah, that does sound really good, just, just having a vacation where you just do nothing. Um, I know when I was a kid, I'd want to do everything, and I'd always be bothering my parents, let's go here, let's go here, but rest just sounds really, really good. So if you haven't been here on Wednesday nights, we are uh, going through a series that is called Building Blocks, and really what it is is just these foundations, taking the end of summer to just focus on these basics of what does it mean to walk with Jesus? What is this relationship with Jesus like, and what do we build our faith on? And we've had some really great teachings um, on just foundations of the faith. We've had some teachings on how to study the Bible. Last week, talked about the Holy Spirit. And the topic for tonight that we're going to be studying is a biblical worldview. What does it mean to have a worldview that is focused and centered on the Word of God. If you have your Bible, you can open that up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is going to be kind of our, our home base for tonight as we look into this topic of a biblical worldview. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 6 through 16 tonight. So as we're turning there, I was thinking about how sometimes in life, it is possible for people to be looking at the exact same thing, but to see different things. You know what I'm talking about, right? You can be looking at the same thing, but what you see is different. This happens to me all the time at home, because I'm not good at finding things, especially when it comes to food. I I just remember a few weeks ago that I was looking for ketchup, I think it was. And I asked my wife, Heather, I said, Heather, do we have any more ketchup? She's like, yeah, it's in the basement on the shelf. So what happens? I go down to the basement, and I'm looking, right? And I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking. I used to be a lifeguard, actually, too. And because I used to be a lifeguard, I'm used to, like, scanning. Because they would make us, for our job, we'd have to scan the water, like, back and forth and back and forth. So I'm down in the basement just by myself, and I'm scanning, and I'm scanning the shelves, I'm scanning, I'm there for probably multiple minutes, and I just hear Heather upstairs, she's like, what are you doing, like, where is, it? like, what's going on? I'm like, yeah, Heather, I, I don't think we have any more, I think we're out, and obviously, if you're married, what do you think happened next, right, what is the next part of the story, that Heather comes down the basement stairs, and in a half a second, just reaches her arm out, and the ketchup is right there. And it just so happened to be literally right in front of my face, like right at eye level. But I'm telling you, I promise you, I scanned for multiple minutes looking for this, and I just could not find it. You see, the two of us were looking at the same exact thing, but we were seeing different things. I was thinking of another example of this. While Heather and I were dating, she wanted to take me to uh, the place where she grew up over in South Brunswick. And she was telling me all about where she grew up. And she said, hey, I want to take you to this park that is right across the street from where I grew up. She's like, this park, Dan, is amazing. In this park, they have this 
awesome uh, playground. They have this amazing tree that me and my friends used to climb, and it's so cool. They even have behind my house this hill that's huge that me and my friends used to sled down. So I'm like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to see that. So we drive over to that place, and we pull into the parking lot of this playground, and you see Heather's face just kind of drop, right? And she's like, where is it? Where's the playground? I'm like, what do you mean? I, I look over, I see like a slide that's like kind of falling apart. I see like a swing set that's like all kind of dingy. I see this tree that is like honestly like this tiny little tree <laughs> that is there. And she's like, this is the park, but it's not what I remembered it to be. She said, you know, when I was a kid, she's like, this playground was amazing. It was huge and the slide was huge and the swings and the tree. But now that I'm an adult. It's, it's really nothing special at all. We went over to the hill that she used to sled down, and it was like just this tiny little, like, I wouldn't even call it a hill. It's like a little bump, right? <laughs> but her perspective, now being an adult, was different from when she was a kid. See, when you're a kid, right, everything that you see is like amazing. I, I was just took my, my five-year-old nephew to the park just the other day, and we pulled in, and you would think that, like, this was the most amazing place in the world. He's, we pull in this park, and he's like, wow, is this the park? And I'm like, yeah, buddy, like, this is it. This is the park. He's like, oh, it's so big. Wow, right? Because from his perspective, this is just something that is so amazing. But, you know, you think about Heather, right? She was looking at the same place that she looked at when she was a kid, but she was seeing something different because the perspective, the lens that she was seeing it at was different. See, the point is this, that so often the way that we see the world, the view that we have on the world is dependent on the lens that we see the world through. You see, every person has a lens that we see the world through. Sometimes that lens is formed by how we grew up, and maybe even sometimes where we grew up. Like if you grew up, for example, in Brooklyn, right? Anyone grew up in Brooklyn here? Or Brooklyn, Staten Island, New York, right? Yeah, I'll get some more there, right? If you grew up in New York, you might have and look at the world slightly different than if you grew up like me and Howell, right? Because you were surrounded with different circumstances, and those circumstances might have affected the way in which you see the world. Sometimes people have a lens that's formed by the education they receive, right? It's formed by the things that they've learned. Sometimes the lens that we have is shaped by the circumstances that we've walked through. Sometimes it's formed by maybe tragedy that we've had to experience in our lives. But the idea is this, that every single person has a lens and a perspective that they see the world through. But my question for us tonight, church, is this. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, how do we see the world around us? What is the lens that we use to see and observe everything that happens around us in the world? And my challenge to us tonight is that that lens that we use should be the word of God. That lens that we, that we use should be formulated in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, right now, I don't have to tell you guys this because you know, right now we live in a truly unique time in our nation, right? We live in a time that is divided. It's divided racially. It's divided politically. It's divided on social issues. We live in this place of division. I, I believe tonight that God is challenging us to examine the way that we as Christians interact and see, and see the world around us and to allow our worldview to be shaped 
by the word of God. So tonight, we're going to be looking at this topic, and we're going to be looking at what does it mean to have a biblical worldview? What does this mean? We're going to be looking at three points tonight, and the first point is this, that having a biblical worldview means having the mind and the heart of Christ toward the world. I'm going to say it again. Having a biblical worldview means having the heart and mind of Christ toward the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16 say this. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordains before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So having a biblical worldview means having the mind of Christ toward the world. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with someone or talking to someone, whether that's a family member or a coworker or a friend, talking to them about the things of God, and no matter how much you try to explain it, they just don't get it. <laughs> Has it happened to you guys before? That's happened to me many times, right? I have a, a good friend that I've been friends with uh, since I was a little kid, and me and this guy still have a really good relationship, and I've shared the gospel with him so many times. And there's been times where God really opens up a door, and I've really been able to just clearly articulate the gospel. I'm explaining to him how we're all sinners, right? And because we're sinners, we've, we've fallen short of the glory of God and that we needed to be forgiven of our sins. So that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to take our sin upon himself and to nail it to the cross and rise again, and that in him we have life, we have forgiveness of sins, we have eternal life, and I've explained this gospel to him, and I'll be explaining this, and I'm like, so man, like, do you get this? And he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I get it. So what you're trying to say is we can still sin, but we just have to do it in moderation, right? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. Like, that's, like you missed the point, right? And I've explained, and I've talked to this guy so many times, and, and the time just hasn't come for him to understand because his eyes have not yet been open. You see, the Apostle Paul addresses 
in this section why it is that we can share the gospel with someone, why it is that for some people, they just don't understand those spiritual things. Look at what it says in verse 14 again. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, he talks about the fact that things that are spiritual, a worldview that is different from the rest of the world, it seems like foolishness to the rest of the world because who you're talking to is someone who is a natural man, someone who is a man that is unredeemed, a man that does not have the spirit of God dwelling inside of them. You see, I'm sure all of us have experienced the way that the world sees the things that we do as Christians a lot of the times as just utter foolishness, right? You know, think about it. You might have friends or family members that ask you the question, and they say, wait a second, on your day off on Sunday, what do you do in the morning? You wake up early and go to church? What? Why would you do that? It's, it's, it's your day off. You should be, you know, doing this and, and watching the game or whatever. They think it's foolishness, right? And then you might tell them, yeah, you know what? I also, I also serve at the church, right? And, and I serve the Lord. And they're like, wait a second. How much do they pay you to do that, though? And you're like, I mean, they, they don't pay me anything, right? I just, I just serve because I love Jesus. And they're like, wait, so you work for free? What? <laughs> that, is, that is insane. That is craziness. Why would you ever do something like that? And I remember years ago, um, just going on mission trips, my grandparents at the time who were not saved, they would ask me and they would challenge me and they'd be like, what do you mean you're going to Haiti? Like, why would you ever do something as, as, as crazy as that? And they would always bring the line of, well, what about America? There's people in America that need to know Jesus, right? Like, why don't you just stay here? Obviously, they, they loved me. They were super protective, didn't want me to get hurt, right? But that was their perspective and that's the world's perspective so often. And the reason is because we as Christians have a different mind right? We as Christians are different because we've been redeemed by Jesus, because we have the Spirit of the Lord dwelling inside of us. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, what Paul is talking about is that the gospel to those who are perishing, that there's this veil, that there is this scale, these blinders on their eyes that they do not understand, right? That they can't see. And Jesus talks about it, right? In John chapter three, he talks about the fact that they don't come to the light because they love the darkness. You see, what I'm getting at is this, that we as Christians the way we see the world is always going to be different because we have this relationship with Jesus, because we have this mind of Christ, because we are not simply like the rest of the world. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5.17, as we know, to say that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, that old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You see, because we have and have become new in our relationship with Jesus, we should no longer see the world as the rest of the world sees it. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians. Look at verses 10 through 12 again with me. He says in verse 10, in the second half of it, for the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So Paul's talking here, and he's asking this question. He says, what man knows the things of a man except for the spirit of the man that dwells inside of him? Let's be honest, right? None of us knows every single thing about another person. You know, Heather and I were talking just, just last week, and we were just joking around. I asked her the question. We've been married for almost three years now. And I, I asked her, I said, hey, three years ago when we got married, did we really know each other? <laughs> and, and we were laughing about it, and we were like, well, we thought we did, right? Like, we, we thought at the time, like, yeah, we're so, we're so in love, and, and, and we were, and we are. But we look back now, and we look at how much we've grown in our relationship in the past three years, and we're like, you know what? We really didn't know each other. And she made a good point. She said, you know what? In three years from now, we're going to be looking back on this conversation, and we're going to say, you remember three years ago when we talked about how well we thought we knew each other, and now we know each other so much better? And if you're married for longer than me, I'm sure you can, you can attest to that, right? And, and that's a great thing. But the reality is, is that I'm never going to know every single thing about Heather, and she's never going to know every single thing about me, because it's the spirit that dwells inside of a man that knows the man. And what Paul is comparing this to is he's comparing this to the spirit of God. He's saying, just as a man can't know a man, no one can know the heart and the mind of God except for the spirit of God that dwells inside of him. But here is the great thing tonight, church, is that we, as believers, have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And because of that, we can know God. We enter into this unity, into this fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. And because of that, we know the heart of God. We know the mind of God. And we're able to see the world through his eyes. You see, that is what a biblical worldview is all about. A biblical worldview is about seeing the world the way that Jesus does. So ask yourself the question tonight then, how does Jesus see the world? How does God look at the world? Well, the simple answer is this, that he looks at the world with love, right? He looks at the world with love. I think Jesus so so accurately and so perfectly describes it in Luke 19.10. Jesus says these words, some of my favorite words in the Bible. He says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is seeing the world as people who are sinners, yes, but who just need to be redeemed, who just need to come into this knowledge and understanding and receiving of the grace that he has poured out on that cross. That is how Jesus sees the world. He sees it as a field that is white for harvest. And the question for us tonight is, church, how do we see the world? Do we see it in the same way? Do we share the heart of Jesus for the world? Or do we see the world and get frustrated by the world and forget that the people in the world are no different than us except for the fact that they don't have that relationship with Jesus, except for the fact that they still haven't come to that place in faith and that God just needs to continue to work and they just need to receive that grace of God. That needs to be our heart for the world. That is what a true biblical worldview is. You know, so often I feel that as Christians we can mistake what it means to have a biblical worldview. See, what we often try to do 
is we try to make the Bible fit into the worldview that we have already established for ourselves. And we try to take the Bible and we try to pick verses here, verses there, this verse, this verse, that tries to support the worldview that we established for ourselves to try to fit into the agenda that we have. You see, maybe we have this conservative worldview, right? And maybe many of us in this room would say, yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or, or, or whatever it is, right? And listen, I'm not saying that sometimes certain political beliefs and things don't match up maybe better with our values, but the reality is this. As Christians, we do not find our identity in, in conservatism, right? As Christians, we do not find our identity in being a Republican or in being a Democrat. And so often, church, I feel, and, and I'm saying this, and just know that everything I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, so often I feel as though we fall into this trap, right? Where we start to observe and see the world through the, the media that we listen to, the news that we intake, the, the beliefs that we have, and that is the way we see the world, and we confuse that for a biblical worldview. We, can, we confuse conservatism for the Bible, right? And church, we as Christians do not find our identity in these things. We find our identity, listen, in being sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, right? That is where our identity is found. It's not found in, in, in political beliefs that we have. It's not found in the, these views that we have. You know, for me, I so often can fall into this place where I become so frustrated with what's happening in the world. I become frustrated when, whenever I turn on a news station or whenever I open up my phone and I see a news article pop up. I'm like, man, what is going on, right? What is the, the world coming to? Why do people see things in this way, right? And I get so frustrated, but my frustration sometimes is not a frustration out of grief saying, man, Lord, we need you. Sometimes my frustration can become selfish, right? Sometimes my frustration can be because I'm frustrated that things aren't happening the way that I think they should be happening. And what do I do with that frustration? I go and talk to other people about it, right? I go to work and, and I have coworkers who maybe think the same things I do and I'm, I'm free and happy to share those things with them. I have friends even here at the church, right, that w we can talk for hours about how we disagree with this that's happening in, in, in politics, how we disagree with how this politician's doing this or, or this policy or this mandate or whatever it is. But the question is, is that same passion that we have for those things, do we have that passion for the lost? Do we have that passion as Jesus does to see the world, not in a way of frustration, but to see the craziness in our world and to say, Lord, you want to do something and you want to change hearts. God, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me as your hands and your feet, Jesus, to go into this world that is wicked and to make disciples of all nations. You see, church, that needs to be our heart, right? That is the heart that God is convicting me on. Not being so frustrated with the world, but asking God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want to use me to go out there and preach your gospel? You see, we can argue with people all we want, 
right? And, and we fall into these traps where we get into these arguments with people, whether it's family members or friends or coworkers, and we're arguing about COVID, and we're arguing about uh, the election, and we're arguing about this and arguing about that. What is our end goal of those arguments, right? Is our end goal to have that person say, you know what, you are so smart, and you are so right, and you made that point, and I now am gonna follow this politician. Is that our goal, right? Because if that's our goal, our perspective is completely wrong, right? But our heart needs to be, how can I win this person to Christ, right? How can I show them through my actions, show them through my love who Jesus is, not win them over to my political side, not win them over to the point that I'm trying to prove. See, convincing someone does not draw them any closer to a saving knowledge of Jesus. So the point is this, that a true biblical worldview is not making the Bible fit into our existing view of the world, but it's allowing God to change the way we see the world. And it's seeing the world as Jesus sees it. So that's point number one, right? That that is what a biblical worldview is all about. And I wanted to lead with that because I think that really just helps to, to, to center everything that we talk about this evening. Point number two is that having a biblical worldview means allowing the truth of God's word to shape the way that we see the world. Having a biblical worldview means allowing the truth of God's word to shape the way that we see the world. If you would turn in your Bible with me, it says the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be starting and just reading a few verses here, starting in verse 13. Second Timothy, Second Timothy 3.13 says this, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Having a biblical worldview means allowing the truth of God's word to shape the way that we see the world. You know, in today's world, it is so hard to know what is true and what is not. You know, I think that's why sometimes we do get frustrated, right? Because we're like, man, how, how am I supposed to know what the truth is, right? How am I supposed to know that if I read this here or hear this here, how do I know what is true? You know, sometimes you'll see things posted online, you'll see things posted maybe on social media, and they'll be flagged, and they'll say, this is not true, and they have a fact checker that's gonna check those facts and, and tell you why it's not true, and then you read what the fact checker says, and you're like, wait a second, how do I know what, what the fact checker said is actually facts, right? And our head can be spinning in circles because we're like, man, what is true? What is the truth? Well, can these words of Jesus be comforting for us tonight? In John 17, 17, Jesus, when praying 
to the Father. He says this, talking about us as believers, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them, set them apart by your word because your word is truth. You see, in a world that is driven by feeling, in a world that is driven by emotion, we can have confidence that the living and powerful word of God is the truth. And it's that very truth that establishes and needs to establish the way that we see the world around us. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar, right? God's word is true. This is how we know. This is how we know what is right. We don't have the time tonight to to go into how we know the Bible is true, but it's a, such a great thing to look into, such a great study. I know for some of you guys, I, I heard um, this past week when I heard Lee Strobel uh, share over in Ocean Grove, and I know Lee Strobel has a great book uh, about this, The Case for Christ, where he talks about that, and I encourage you to look into that. But we know and are so assured that the word of God is the truth. So this word how does it shape our worldview then? How do we see the world differently by understanding and knowing the word of God? I want to give us just three quick examples tonight. And there's so much that we can talk about that unfortunately we just don't have the time to get through. But three ways and examples of areas where God's word should shape our worldview. The first one that I want to talk about is that God's word should shape our worldview on science. God's, world, God's word should shape our worldview on science. Now, why am I talking about this? This is something that is a little bit near and dear to my heart because I'm actually a science teacher, right? And I remember when I wanted to become a science teacher, I remember that there were so many people that were like, wait, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> They're like, wait, as a, as you want to be a Christian and then you want to be a science teacher? And then I'll talk to people today about what I do and I'll tell people, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm a science teacher, but then I'm also a youth pastor. And they're like, wait, What? Like, like you're a, a pastor, but then a science? Like, isn't science, don't science in the Bible, like, not agree? Isn't that like, uh, don't touch that as Christians, right? Because that's, it's like God, science, you can't mesh the two things in together. Well, church, that is actually not true at all. I, I, I find it to be completely the opposite. You see, I find, and in my study, and the more I learn, and the more I teach these topics, I find that science brings glory to God. You know, we talked in the beginning about how people can be looking at the same thing, but they can see two different things depending on the lens that they see it through. A fancy word for this is the word presupposition, right? That everyone has a presupposition, a lens that they look at the world through. You see, scientists have this lens that they see evidence through. Christians have this lens that they see evidence through. But what is the truth? You know, take, for example, the human body. And I'm not going to get too scientific on you guys. I don't want to bore you guys this, this Wednesday night, right? But take the human body, for example. The human body is absolutely amazing, right? Inside of this human body are anywhere from 50 to 100 trillion of these little microscopic cells, right? And within each of these cells are these complex systems. They're kind of like cities that work together and are always functioning together to allow your body to work. Think about the way in which 
your organs work. Think about the way that your heart pumps and, and, and sends blood to your lungs and back to your heart and to the rest of your body. All of these things happening without us even thinking about it, right? Every second. See, the, the human body is amazing, but we can look at something like the human body and we can look at it through two perspectives, right? So for someone in maybe more of a science background, someone that has maybe an evolutionary background, they look at the complexity of the human body and they say, wow, that is super complex. What must have happened is it must have taken millions and billions of years for that evolution to occur, right? It must have taken a ton of randomness, a ton of mutation and all these things to happen in order for that to be formed. But see, for that person with that background, they can look at the evidence before them and because of their, the lens that they're looking at it from, that is what they point to. That is what makes sense to them. Yes, this proves, this complexity of the body proves that evolution is, is true, and, and, and that's the way that, that all life was, was formed and created. But you see, for us as believers in Jesus, we don't have to make this assumption, right? That we can look at something like the human body, and you see, we have the truth of the word of God to formulate the way in which we see the things around us. We can look at a scripture like Psalm 139, right? Just a, a great scripture that I encourage all of you guys to know and to, and to read. But I think about in verse 13, how it says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. He talks, the psalmist talks about how we're skillfully wrought, right? How, how God is, is forming us and making us. So for us as Christians, when we look at the human body, when we look at these things and we see this complexity for us, what does it do? But it just brings glory to God, right? For us, we see it and we say, wow, this is amazing. God is so good, right? God ha is just so, so intricate in his creation, so amazing in the way that he does these things. I can give you hundreds of examples just like this. And I encourage you, if, if you have questions about anything, I, I, I'm not saying I'm like the science expert and like come to me with every, all your questions, right? But if you have questions about, you know, how, how does science and the Bible work together? What, what about evolution? I, I, I would love to chat with you and, and just, just share with you a little bit of, of my heart. You know, something that the Lord clearly spoke to my heart before I decided to be a science teacher because I, I heard all those voices in my ear saying, you know what, you, you shouldn't do that. It's not gonna be good for you. But I felt God clearly speak to my heart and say, you know what, you can either run away from this, but if you do, where is the light going to be in those schools, right? Where is the light going to be in those public schools, especially in the science classroom? And, and God has truly given me just, just great favor and great opportunity within my classroom, and I'm, I'm just so blown away by that. But again, this is just an example through science of the way in which we see things. It changes based on our worldview. So I think of science as one example. Another example that I think about is how God's word shapes our worldview on social issues, right? You know, I mentioned in the, in the beginning that we live in a nation right now that is very divided, and, and because of that, there are so many of these social issues that are just truly polarizing, you know, things like racism, things like gender and, and, and identity, and, and so often, you know, me as a youth pastor, I, 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 I talk to, you know, teenagers who are walking through this right now, right? Who are walking through this in, in, in school and, and hearing things. And, and for all of us, we all 
hear things. We all hear ideas. We have our own ideas and things that come in, but we have to ask ourselves, what is the truth, right? What does the word of God say? You know, I was thinking about this idea of racism, right? And something that our country has has really been, been walking through the, in the past couple years. And, you know, sometimes we, we have these arguments and we're like, you know what, uh, racism, it, it, it doesn't exist, it does exist, this is, this is why it happens, this is what we need to change. But look, the reality of the word of God comes back to this. Is there racism in our country? Absolutely. Why? Because we're sinners, right? Why? Because the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things, right? And, and that it's desperately wicked and who can know it? So we can see things like this and we can say, yeah, you know what? These things do exist, right? The, all of this wickedness that we see, the problem of it is the human heart. The problem of it is sin. And the solution, right? I, I'm not gonna stand up here today and say, I have the solution, but listen, the simplicity and the reality of this is that the gospel, right? The gospel is able to bridge those gaps. The gospel is able to bring revival, to bring forgiveness, to bring healing, and to bring peace. And I think about what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where Paul writes, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We think about these issues, you know, I, I mentioned before identity, and, and this, uh, we can talk about this in terms of gender identity, we could talk about this in terms, in terms of just identity as a whole. Who are we as people? You see, the world will love to define and to tell you, especially young people, and again, I see this in the public schools, especially young people, they will love to tell you who you are because they want you to be a certain way, to fit into a certain quality. They will take the way that you look and say, you look this way, therefore you are this way. They will take maybe a confusion that you have and say, yeah, you're confused about this, this is actually who you are. And guys, listen, we know this, this is, this is pounded, right? This is every day, this is something that young people have to work through and have to live through. The, the reality of, of growing up in 2021 is, is very different from even 10 years ago when I was in high school, right? It, it's just very different. But how is our worldview formed, right? How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves based off the way that the world defines us? Or do we see ourselves based on how God defines us? Do we see ourselves based on who God says that we are, that we are created in the image of God, that we have purpose, that, that we have meaning, that, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them? See, God's word shapes our worldview on these things, and we need to allow God's word to do that. You see, I, I, I tell the youth group this all the time. I say, look, if we don't know the word of God, how are we going to know what is the truth, right? How are we going to be able to discern between what is the truth and what is a lie? Because we hear things, and sometimes we hear things from people that we respect even. We hear things from, from professors and teachers, and we say, yeah, you know what? They're, they're smart. You know, we see, we see kids go off to college every year and, and their professors were like, man, this, you know, he, he or she, they're a PhD, they have all these letters after their name. What they're saying has to, has to be true, right? It has to be uh, the reality. But you see, when we know the word of God, 
when we study the word of God, when we allow ourselves to be immersed in God's word, allow God to speak to our hearts, that is when we can discern between what is true and what is the lie. And the last thing on that topic that I was thinking about is the fact that God's word shapes our worldview, even on trials in our own lives. You know, one of the biggest questions that people ask me, and I'm sure that people ask you as well, is if God is so good, if God is so, so holy and righteous, how could he cause these bad things to happen? Why, are, why is there such evil in the world? Now, I wish I could stand up here today and just give you like this clear cut, like this is exactly why, this is how you should just answer everyone. I can't do that, right? The answer to that question is, is, is very difficult, but it, it, it's, it's one that we can talk about. But the way that the world sees trials and the way that we see trials, it should be different based on the way that we see the world. You see, the world sees trials as always something that is just incredibly negative. The world sees trials as, man, your life is falling apart and this is terrible and because of that, you should be depressed. You should be anxious. You should be, be going through all these things because of the, of the way that these trials are happening in your life. But you see, when our worldview is a biblical worldview, when our worldview is centered on God's word, we don't have to see trials in that way. You see, we can read verses like 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7 that says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We can read James chapter one, where he talks about the fact that we can count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, right? We can read Romans chapter five, where it talks about how tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. You see, we as Christians, we can see trials, and we can see the things in our lives from a different perspective. Why? Because we have this relationship with God, because we know God through his spirit, and we know in the midst of those trials that he is with us. We know in the midst of those trials that he is doing something in us, that he is producing something in us. Does that mean we're gonna be like, yes, I'm going through another trial, like score, another trial, awesome, can't wait. No, I think that would, be, that would be silly to do. But we can, in the midst of those trials, have joy because we know the God that we serve and we know that he has a purpose for these things. So the point of it is this. There's so many more examples, but seeing the world through the truth of God's word, it helps us to be different. You see, when we have joy in trials, the world notices that, right? The world notices, hey, what? What is it about you? Your world is falling apart. You, 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 your life is, is crazy right now. You, you, this person in your life just died. This person's sick. You're dealing with this. Why is it that you have this joy? Right? Why is it that there is this, this hope that is in you? And what an opportunity to be a light to the world and to share the hope of Jesus Christ. So we've talked about how a biblical worldview means that we have the mind of Christ. We've talked about how a biblical worldview means that we, we see the way that we see the world is shaped by the word of God. And lastly for tonight, our final point 
is this, that having a biblical worldview means having hope in the midst of a hopeless world. I'll say it again. Having a biblical worldview means having hope in the midst of a hopeless world. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter describes the believers in Jesus Christ, and he, he calls us this, sojourners and pilgrims, right? We studied 1 Peter not too long ago, and the idea is this, that this life, this earth, is not our final destination, right? The things that we walk through in this world, the things that happen around us are temporary. They're fleeting, that they're passing away, but we were created for something that is greater, for something that is eternal that we will enter into as believers. You see, when we look at the things happening in the world, it can be easy to be anxious and fearful. And I, I wanna say this tonight, brothers and sisters, that Maybe some of us in this room tonight, because I'm the first one to say that this is something that I've been dealing with too. Maybe some of us are, are a little bit fearful and anxious just about the things that are happening in our world right now, right? You know, we think about some of these mandates and some of these uh, j- just, just different things that we see. And I, I know for me, I, I find myself sometimes being like, man, this is, this is making me nervous. This is making me scared and, I, and I'm struggling with these things. You know, I think about some of the different agendas and, and, and all these things. But you see, having a biblical worldview means that even in the midst of, of this world, even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, as the Bible says, that we can have a great hope, that we can have a great assurance. See, we recognize that there is evil in the world, right? Having a biblical worldview, we can see the world going in a direction and I was talking about this with Pastor Todd before service. We shouldn't be surprised about it, right? When we see the world going through these things, we should say, yeah, you know what? We're getting closer to the coming of Jesus. We should expect the world to get like this. You know, sometimes we get like, so, oh my goodness, the world, like, what is happening? Yeah, (laughs) that is what's happening, and, and that's kind of, in some way, what we can expect. And we know that this evil and this wickedness will only increase until the day that Jesus returns. But the message for us tonight is this, that in the midst of a chaotic world, we do not have to be afraid. Why do we not have to be afraid? Because we can have a confidence. We can have an assurance in who Jesus is. You see, when we have this biblical worldview, when we see the world through the eyes of Christ, we know the end, right? And you've heard it said before that in the end, Jesus wins. And actually, you know what? Jesus has already won, and he will continue to win, right? And because Jesus wins, so do we, right? Because Jesus has victory, we have victory. We have victory over death. We have victory over sin. Look, I wish I could guarantee and and say to all of us tonight, you know what, like we're gonna be shielded from all of these trials and there's going to be nothing bad that is going to happen to us. But you see, the reality is it's, it's quite the opposite because what does Jesus guarantee? He says that in this world, you will have tribulation, right? He makes that promise to us. But what does he promise us after? He says, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. When we have a biblical worldview, we can be confident because we know that God is good, because we know that God is in control, because we know that Jesus is alive, because we know that we are forgiven of our sin and that we are going to spend 
eternity in the presence of Jesus. In the midst of a chaotic world, when our worldview is, is shaped by God, when our mind is the mind of Jesus, we see the world with hope. So, in conclusion for tonight, how do we see the world around us? When we look at the events happening, when we look at just the life around us, what is the lens that we see it through? Do we see it through the lens of our political beliefs? Do we see it through the lens of our experiences? Or do we allow God to transform the way that we see the world around us? You see, church, I want to see the world the way that Jesus sees it. I want to see the world as Jesus is looking out over Jerusalem and and he's weeping and he's saying, if if only you knew that this was your time, right? I want to see the world as Jesus sees when he's feeding the 5,000, as he sees the people that are scattered and he says, these are like sheep with no shepherd, right? That is the way that I want to see the world, through the heart and through the eyes of Jesus, not becoming frustrated and not becoming so angry and upset about all that's happening around us, but seeing that as an opportunity, seeing that as a challenge and saying, God, you have put me in this place during this time on earth for a purpose. You've put me in my job or my career. You've put me in the family that I'm in because you want to use me, because you want to do something. Jesus, your heart is to seek and save that which is lost. And God, would you make that my heart? Would you make it my heart to see people as sinners who just need to know Jesus, who just need to understand that Jesus died for them and rose from the grave? See, having a biblical worldview, it also starts, though, with having a relationship with Jesus. And as, as we come to a close, that is my final challenge to us tonight, is, you know, maybe as we're talking, maybe you're saying, you know what, I don't see the world like this. I, I, I've been seeing the world through these eyes of fear, and I've been seeing the world with anxiety, and, and I've been seeing just all, just all the craziness of it. Listen, as we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we can know and have the mind of Christ through a relationship with Jesus because when his spirit dwells inside of us, we can know those things of the Lord and we can enter into a fellowship with him you don't have a relationship with Jesus tonight, I'm going to give you an opportunity as we close in prayer to do that. And, and for the rest of us, maybe like me, we've been seeing the world and we've been seeing the events of the world and the things happening in it, and maybe it's just making us really fearful. Maybe it's just making us really anxious. Maybe it's making us frustrated. And, and we're so just upset and frustrated about the things that we see. Listen, tonight, I want to lay those things down before the Lord. Tonight, I want to say, God, would you come and would you replace my fear? Would you replace my anxiety with your joy? Would you show me, would I see the the world through your eyes so that I can see the purposes that you have for it? Amen?